So not long before the recording of this episode, it was announced that Philips, a global leader in health technology, signed a new partnership with Teladoc Health, a global leader in virtual care. The partnerships, positioned as a unique way to deliver comprehensive virtual healthcare solutions across healthcare facilities, enabling virtual care delivery across entire organisations. And it's a big deal and something that we're super excited to talk about on the podcast and in the Talking Health Tech community that we thought, rather than just giving my perspectives on the partnership and what it might mean from a distance, I figured... Why not bring them onto the show and ask them about it directly? So with me today on the show is Joe Kane from Philips and Darren Reynolds from Teladoc. And in this episode, we're going to learn more about the exciting new partnership and what it might mean for virtual care delivery in Australia and New Zealand in the near future. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Burge, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Joe Kane, the business manager for Philips Virtual Care in APAC, and Darren Reynolds, the managing director of Teladoc Health Australasia and their SVP for Global Emerging Markets. Joe has a passion for driving equality of access to care across metro and regional hospital systems through hub-and-spoke virtual care programs. He's also got an extensive experience in optimising patient flow from both efficiency and experience of care perspectives. Darren's been with Teladoc for 11 years, including three years in a secondment in their Boston office, and he leads markets in Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and other developing countries. Hey guys, how are you going? Yeah, good. I'm very well, thanks, Pete. Thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you here and good to discuss some exciting news and learn more about virtual care as well and what it all means. So I might get you both to introduce yourselves firstly. Joe, tell us a bit more about you and then Darren. Yeah, sure. So I guess just for your listeners, my accent is pretty thick, but I've been here for about 11 years in Australia, working mainly in virtual care and diagnostics. Within Philips, I cover both inpatient and outpatient virtual care solutions, so they're monitoring hundreds of ICU or HVU beds across large districts or monitoring hundreds of patients with chronic disease or COVID in their homes. That's pretty much my space. Love it. And Darren? Yeah, I can't believe you said 11 years with Teladoc. Um, background before that was publishing and insurance industries, which were kind of two industries that were just starting to go through a digital transformation. And now I started with Teladoc at a time when medicine was not even starting its digital transformation. Remember when I started with Teladoc, the concept of virtual medicine was almost foreign. You know, everyone was like, you can't see a doctor unless you're there in person. So we had a pretty amazing journey over the last 11 years and particularly in the last couple of years where in COVID, I think the concept of virtual medicine has just completely shifted. So looking forward to talking more about that today. Yeah, I'm particularly interested to learn more about this partnership that's been announced between Ben Phillips and Teladoc. Darren, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, look, this partnership's really an opportunity for us to combine two leading world-class organisation capabilities. The goal is to offer hospitals and health systems a scalable end-to-end virtual care system. And what that means is it's to allow organisations to better leverage their kind of scarce clinical resources and free up capacity. Now, from Teleworks' point of view, Philips, you know, such a strong market presence here in Australia and New Zealand, really deep client relationships. Um, they had a proven capability to deliver both on clinical and commercial outcomes. So it was just a 
really compelling success stories. So that's why we look to partner with them and, and why we're thrilled to be able to kind of combine our, our leading virtual care devices and software applications with their solutions that's going to create an opportunity to kind of serve and solve current potential and yet to be uncovered needs in our market. And Joe, from your perspective, you know, why is this partnership exciting? It's incredibly complimentary. I mean, ever since Darren and I started talking and speaking with the folks in the USA from Teladoc, essentially, you know, between Philips and our evidence base and our multiple reference sites, which we'll talk about today, in the remote patient monitoring space, so picking up when patients are deteriorating, both in the hospital and the home, complementing that with world-class, world-leading, and I guess a wide breadth of, you know, audio, video endpoints and virtual care endpoints to kind of combine this concept of teleconsultation with the concept of deterioration before it happens. And really, that's sort of how we define, I guess, the future of virtual care moving forward. Yeah. And so, you know, we know about the surge in the need for telehealth and virtual care services. And Darren, you mentioned you've been there long before COVID and seen that journey through. But Joe, just to clarify then and really set the scene, why do hospitals need telehealth and virtual health solutions right now? Well, I mean, right now is an interesting concept because I think uh, it never has it been clearer in a, uh, in a during COVID, I won't say post-COVID world, but even before COVID hit Australia, I mean, hospitals were running at 90, 95% capacity. And these aren't just your tertiary centers, you're talking about your secondary hospitals. I know Blacktown Hospital just finished a major redevelopment uh, and because of the high growth in the area, they're already running at very, very high capacity. So if you have a, a network of hospitals across the district or maybe even a collaboration between districts, really in every single state in Australia and New Zealand, then essentially you're able to leverage those scarce resources and provide that senior specialist access across multiple hospitals and facilities and not just the tertiary center. So really load balancing from an operations perspective, but also providing the quality of access across the entire district. Yeah, well, look, maybe to illustrate Joe's point, let me give you a specific kind of use case example. So let's take a neonatology program within a Queensland hospital system. So you have a tertiary centre in Brisbane, and then you've got some regional-based hospitals up in Rocky and, and other North Queensland locations. If you're in Brisbane, you can be pretty confident that if you were like to unfortunately need the service of a specialist neonatologist, you're likely to have access to one at the moment of need when you're in Brisbane. Maybe not every time, but certainly most of the time. Now, if you're in one of the rural locations up in North Queensland, oftentimes it's not going to be the specialist. You know, you'll have a generalist or, or even a midwife kind of making these urgent kind of life or death decisions. And although our medical system is great, you know, wouldn't it be better if we could have always that specialist care when you need it. So with our solution, we're going to be kind of placing a, a specialist purpose telemed device. This telemed device has got boom arms, kind of comes over the top of the crib. So it provides a really holistic and detailed image of the baby. And then we connect that rural center into the tertiary center via a bespoke telemed software application. This neonatology solution we're talking about was actually designed in consultation with the Mayo Clinic in the USA. And so it's a purpose-built kind of customized nodes that guides the teleconsultation through on a step-by-step -step basis. It's literally like putting that specialist who's sitting in Brisbane into the room in North Queensland, even though they're thousands of kilometers away. Mm. And we use these kind of bespoke solutions yeah. in global health systems all around the world, and it's saving lives. And this is the kind of difference that we're looking to make here in Australia and New Zealand. 
Yeah. So it sounds like these types of telehealth solutions are a little bit different than just spinning up a Zoom or a Teams call, right? Absolutely. Look, Zoom and Teams are great audio visual tools. You know, I'm on a Teams call every day at the moment, but they're not bespoke medical application. And they certainly don't have that required security or kind of clinical application built into them. And most importantly, they're not kind of interoperable with the health system or, you know, like an EMR. I'm sure you've heard stories about security breaches, you know, on Zoom, lots of press about that uh, when kind of COVID first hit. Um, and when it comes to personal health data, you know, you don't want to have just an ordinary platform. You want to have a secure purpose-built application that doesn't disrupt the ecosystem of the health system. So well, to enforce the point, Teladoc have actually just signed a partnership with Microsoft where our solo platform, which is our telemedicine platform, is going to be integrated into Microsoft Teams. So clinicians will be using Teams for their everyday work, you know, when they're doing an internal conference, when they're reviewing clinical administration. But then when it comes to a clinically robust clinical work, where they want to do a teleconsultation, then they just simply come over to our platform when they're in Teams. That's the difference between doing telehealth on a Zoom or a proper platform. Yeah, got it. And Joe, just, you know, not to get persnickety about definitions or anything, but, you know, we've thrown around terms like telehealth and virtual care before we really dig into it too much further. Is it worth differentiating the difference between the two? I mean, I think telehealth is really the bedrock of virtual care as it stands right now, but I would say a dedicated team. It's not even the technology necessarily, it's the dedicated team behind those cameras, both at the bedside and in the hub that defines a virtual care solution from classical telehealth. I think telehealth is involved in full virtual care programs. I wouldn't even call them solutions. I call it a program or a, uh, a model of care. But that's really the major difference. I mean, it's not necessarily just pre-planned calls or a pre-planned video conferencing. It's a dedicated staffing model that's always available potentially 24-7 for a wide variety of use cases, all the way from NICU to Darren's example, all the way to the ICU, to transitions of care, to uh, chronic disease in the home. That's the biggest difference. And then, you know, to put it into light for our region in particular, talking about this new partnership with Philips and Teladoc, how's this going to shape the virtual care journey for health systems in our region now? I think the, the interesting thing with Teladoc and Philips is we've been operating for a very long time. We're lucky enough to have a lot of reference sites. Not every single reference site would be applicable to every single hospital in Australia, but some would. And you know, different use cases would also be applicable to hospitals in Australia. The great thing with uh, Teladoc and Philips is we noticed there's a lot of anecdotal evidence around telehealth and virtual care solutions. Whereas, you know, Philips and Teladoc have published numerical evidence, like reduction of transfers for NICU patients and nurseries, reduction in length of stay, reduction in mortality, reduction of inter and intra-hospital transfer. We have these numbers that we're able to use to kind of compare and sort of model from a, I guess, a clinical return on investment perspective and from a financial and operational return on investment perspective, you know, what kind of impact we can expect for these same models to have in an Australian context across multiple use cases. Darren, you know, it's great to hear that we've got these examples of the outcomes that can be delivered here. You know, to talk specifics, are there examples or reference sites you can talk about in more detail and what you've achieved? Yeah, for, for sure. Maybe I'll start globally and then Joe can kind of bring it home with a with a local example. But mm. Teladoc and Philips have virtual healthcare solutions coming in hundreds of leading hospital and health systems around the world. Names like John Hopkins, the Mayo Clinic, University of Medical Center in Zurich, even health systems like the Saudi Ministry of Health. As an example, maybe one good reference site, um, let's look at a virtual care telestroke program. 
we partnered with the Cleveland Clinic, who's one of the USA's leading hospital systems, and they're a multi-state system in the US, so across multiple states. And in any kind of stroke situation, time and access to specialist advice, they're the biggest factors in, in determining successful outcomes. So during a stroke, it's estimated that 2 million brain cells are lost every minute the patient is not getting the right care. And so making that kind of right decision about the administration of the TPA is a critical factor. But to do that, an expert needs to assess the patient and look at imagery as quickly as possible. How do you do that when you've got these multiple hospitals across multiple states? So with our telestroke program at the Cleveland Clinic across 15 of their regional and remote hospitals, we were able to perform over 1,000 telestroke consultations that saw a 100% increase in the appropriate IV TPA utilization. And what that resulted in was a reduction in the transfer rate between the remote and tertiary centers. So we stopped moving patients around these multiple sites. And most importantly, we got an average one minute response time. So that kind of saving in time saw a dramatic increase in clinical outcomes. Now, I could name hundreds of examples at hundreds of hospitals in areas such as pediatric intensive care, ED triage, behavioral health, telepsychiatry, and many other areas. But what we're doing is just increasing that capacity to get the right person in the right spot. And Joe's probably got some great local examples here as well. Yeah, tell us about that, Joe. Yeah, so we have quite a few sites. Um, our first inpatient site was in the HOT program in WA. So this program was set up so that you know, patients could be downgraded from the ICU to sort of HDE beds while creating capacity for the ICU. So as patients are in the ED and they need to be transferred to an ICU bed, kind of creating that improved patient flow and therefore able to provide more care for patients while reducing ED wait time, reducing length of stay as well. In the outpatient space, I have to talk about West Moreton. They are essentially our flagship outpatient chronic disease program. They've been independently audited by OSHI to reduce potentially preventable hospitalizations, reduce bed day utilization, and have an improved overall quality of care and quality of life for patients in a chronic disease setting. That hospital system has already exploded in terms of applications. So they're not only just doing chronic disease, they're doing gestational diabetes, mental health, COVID tracking, even though they had very few cases. Uh, and then you have other examples in New South Wales where very similar situation. They started off with chronic disease. They've added on COVID applications and even higher acuity plazapine tracking for patients with higher acuity mental health issues. So there's a lot of local cases that affect both inpatient and outpatient clinical outcomes, as well as overall patient flow. Yeah, interesting. And it's good to see across both inpatient and outpatient and the examples there in the impact is having. So that's amazing. Think, like, you know, Obviously, being in, in many of these locations, you would have gone through a lot of implementations of these types of solutions going from whatever they had before to a virtual care solution then. And there's many that are looking to implement these types of solutions now or in the thick of it or looking to do it in the future. It'd be great to get from you know both of your perspectives, some advice for all those different stakeholders involved in implementing virtual care solutions some key kind of pitfalls to avoid. Maybe Joe will start off with some things that come to mind from you. Yeah, so I think it's really important, just like you have multiple acuity patients in the inpatient and outpatient space, you also have multi-acuity solutions. So not every single patient requires full run force remote patient monitoring plus teleconsultation, but a lot of them do especially if you're looking to create capacity in the ICU and the HDU. So having a wide range of solutions and intervention models and staffing models to support different tiers of acuity in the inpatient and ambulatory slash outpatient space, that's the first thing. I guess every health system needs to understand that you can't just look to virtualize care. So if you're looking just to take, okay, well, I'm used to seeing a patient in their home every single day, 
I'm going to do the same exact thing, but do it by video conference. There's not enough hours in the day to do that, especially in the case of COVID. You have to kind of prioritize individual patients based on biometric data, if they're in their home or you know, actual live deterioration data, if they're in the hospital, and then look at, focus your scarce clinical staff on the patients that require their attention at that particular point in time, as opposed to giving the exact same amount of attention necessarily to everyone. Now you're still applying algorithms and rules to all patient cohorts, but your scarce clinical resources, your, your scarcity, your nurses or intensivists, they should be looking at the patient that requires their attention um, more than the other patients. As a secondary pair of eyes, I'll say this as well. So all of our programs are essentially set up so that you're not replacing any staff in the inpatient or outpatient setting. You're literally supporting that staff, not supplanting that staff with additional analytics, deterioration algorithms, and uh, additional advice via teleconsultation that tele teledoc supplies. Another big pitfall to avoid is not having a dedicated workforce. So it's really important that you know you don't have clinicians that are splitting their time between business as usual care and a ICU monitoring program or a NICU monitoring program. In some cases, you know, specialists like neurologists can be on call, but you do have to really make that investment of clinicians being present and available, just like any other call center in every other industry so that the bedside team can really depend on them 24-7. That has to be implemented. Excellent. And Darren, what about from your perspective and your experience? I think to add what Joe said, for me, it's about kind of making sure you put a program that delivers on a quadruple aim. You've got to improve patient access to specialist care, no matter what that care setting is. You've got to create the hospital capacity, as Joe talked about, and, and the clinical efficiencies. You're looking to reduce cost of care, not quality of care. But most importantly, you're looking to improve the health outcomes. I think if you kind of set out to design a virtual care program that's taking all of those factors into play, it's not only going to deliver a great outcome for the patient, which is what we're all about, but also provide a really strong ROI to the health system. So that would be the goal of an ultimate virtual care program. I love that quadruple aim kind of view. That's there's some really actionable things that people could take away and apply in their own setting too. We've talked about what's happening globally, but bringing it home to Australia. What are some of the models that are unique to Australia when it comes to virtual care? And how's Australia influencing the world back the other way when it comes to virtual care and how it's delivered? Due to our distances and our kind of very dispersed population here, Australia and New Zealand have always been leaders and really early adopters of virtual care. The WA Country Health Service is a prime example as one of the world's first kind of health organizations to really leverage telehealth solutions at scale. And I think that wide population of WA and so bringing equality and access to healthcare across wide geographic areas, that's something we've been doing for a long time. We have a really thriving health tech concept here in Australia, developing innovative remote patient monitoring devices, virtual care solutions. I get approached on a pretty regular basis from new kind of companies developing devices that they want to tie into our system. And these aren't just for Australian patients, but these are going to be for patients all over the world. And then we have kind of hospital and health systems willing to use innovative care models that, you know, improve that clinical efficiency. We've got hospitals in Australia that create 24-7 networks by tapping into global kind of resources, doctors in South Africa, doctors in the UK. And they can do that because of the benefits that virtual healthcare can bring. And Joe, from your perspectives, how we can apply it to Australia as well? I think Australia is really influencing the world when it comes to hospital substitution, otherwise known as HIF. 
So I mean, many people know this uh, in Australia, but if you don't, Hith was pretty much invented here in Australia and Melbourne specifically. It's been operating for about 30 years. And this is a situation where a patient is considered an inpatient, but part of their stay, let's call it five days of their cellulitis stay, part of the stay, let's say two days is spent at home. So they're literally treated like an inpatient patient in the comfort of their own home and they're discharged from their home. We've been doing this for a very long time across VVT, cellulitis, wound care, but the list is growing every single day. But obviously we're also doing it with COVID. Now, over the course of COVID, the states, the USA, actually validated and paid through their Medicare system uh, hospital substitutions that could kind of create capacity within these hospitals that were receiving the 20,000, 50,000 cases uh, across the state every single day. So they'll be drawing on the virtualization of HIF in the states, influenced by Australia. And as Darren said, I think Australia will be influenced by the hub and spoke models that have been operating in the inpatient space in the states. So it's sort of this inpatient and outpatient influence across both countries. Yeah. Now, that's a great way to think about it, too. Just starting to close the conversation out then and summarizing, you know, what we've talked about, perhaps some final thoughts. You know, we've got the partnership that's announced between Philips and Teladoc. What are we going to see over the next six to 12 to 24 months, Joe? I say a lot of building. A lot of building. I think during COVID, there has been a lot of you know, investment in infrastructure. There's been a lot of announcements around your know, hospitals receiving redevelopment funding that they desperately needed because their current hospitals are running at 90 plus percent capacity. I think we're going to find an accelerated adoption of virtual care programs, plural, uh, across multiple areas of hospital systems and investing in purpose-built facilities that house all these programs together so you can kind of really drive economies of scale and maximize the impact of both metropolitan and regional hospitals. Yeah, look, for me, it's about delivering on what hospital and health systems want, integrated enterprise-wide solutions that make the full breadth for virtual care available to both their physicians and their, their patients. You're going to see Philips and Teladoc join forces to bring really great solutions into Australia and New Zealand. And you can expect this to help you know, make many, many local hospitals and health systems world-class when it comes to delivering innovative virtual care solutions, which at the end delivers better patient outcomes. And that's what we're both all about, making sure that people in Australia and New Zealand get access to better healthcare. Love it. That's a great way to finish it off and a good perspective to have. Look, Joe, Darren, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I'm going to put some notes and some of those glossary terms that were touched on in this episode in the show notes that people can access on our website if they want some more information and also check out Philips and Teladoc from there. Look, I really appreciate you making the time and good luck with the partnership and everything else moving forward. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen. Go make it happen.